0: Today's reading is from Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be be to Christ.
1: Thanks again, Millie. putting my new water bottle on display for you all. Are you not envious? Uh, good morning. It's huge, isn't it? I'm, my apologies. I need to hydrate. But uh, good morning. My name is Scott. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's it's my privilege to be able to um, explain the Scriptures today, as I, as I often get to do. But before that, uh, I also get to uh, highlight uh, some really wonderful things that are coming out of our community here at Christ Prez relative to the insert that's in your bulletin uh, that says MAT on the top of it, uh, which stands for our mission advisory team. So one of the things that makes me really super proud uh, to be associated with this church is that this church is filled with people who really believe Jesus when he says, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. There's a stunning saturation of generosity and generous people here in our community. And um, if you've been through CPC 101, which is sort of our introductory course to our mission, our vision, the things that we're about and committed to, you, you might remember that we, we say in there that we are decidedly a church that exists not for itself, but rather for its city and for the world that God loves. And the beautiful thing about that is the more we turn our eyes and our hearts and our resources outward, the stronger our community gets. And, you know, we we, we hear stories over and over and over about the hospitality that happens in the hallways on Sundays, how people feel uh, welcomed by one another, whether you've been part of the community for a long time or whether you're brand new to it. Uh, We hear stories of of just a really rich, uh, beautiful, life-giving system of care uh, and people investing in that system of care for those who are hurting, and the community that happens around that, the small groups, the life together, and so on. Um, you know, we're, we're very proud of Christ Presbyterian Academy, which is a huge ministry coming out of our church, and, and of Nate Morrow, the headmaster, and and the team that's there. We're also proud of our youth uh, team and children's team that. Uh, more recently has reported that we actually have over 25 schools represented uh homeschools public schools private school represented in our our uh, our children's and youth ministries uh, we we've grown as a community we're up year to date 30% in in attendance on Sundays relative to where we were last year and so the outward face has actually caused the community to grow and the community to also deepen and so what I'm here to do right now is just to simply encourage us to continue in this spirit. Um, so I went on a website this week uh, called Healthy Church Budgeting. You can, you can Google it um, for those of you who are interested in healthy church budgeting. Uh, and one of the things that that website says is that healthy churches budget about 10% of their resources to be deployed for things other than their church, uh, for, for things on the outside, missionaries and, and, and things of that sort. And so if you look at Christ Presbyterian right now, and, and you look at our budgeting, uh, and if you, if you look at things like the launching of CPC in-town location this past year— or the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work and the investment that we're making in that, not only to use it to strengthen our own church, but to strengthen other churches as, as people from Nashville participate in that effort, as we look at parties that we... Uh, we do for the whole city as, as we look at things like the, the public forum that we invite all of Nashville to uh, that's coming up in November with, with Republican Governor Bill Haslam and also former former Obama aide uh, and Democrat Michael Ware going to have a nice conversation here in front of Nashville here on this stage the Sunday before uh, the election. Uh, so when we add all of that together and the partnerships and the monies that go into to missional communities and, and, and the monies that are invested in our own members' creative efforts to bless uh, people in the city of Nashville. Uh, it's not 10 percent that goes out of here to serve the city and the world, it's 40 percent. That's how important the outward face is to this community, and and and, and so much of what we're doing outside of this church is, is represented in this little uh, brochure here. And so, so there's going to be a congregational meeting that comes up in a couple of months, so, so I'm going to stop right now uh, with this. Um, uh, and, and, you know, we'll give more data and, and details at the congregational meeting that's coming up later this summer. But for now, what I want to do is thank the mission advisory team, because they work very, very diligently to make sure that every penny that goes out of this place is is in lockstep with the vision and mission and values that's expressed in in CPC 101 and that we ask our members to give toward i'm personally confident that that, that, that when I give ten percent or more of our of my income and when, when patty and I give ten percent or more of our income to this church that it's going to be invested well and 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 it's going to to serve not only this church but also the city and the world in which we live. So I want to thank our church for being generous. I also want to tell you that 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 uh, and this is just a reality when you're when you're 30 when you have 30% more people than you did a year ago, it requires 30% more resources. And one of the things that we've seen is is giving has remained flat as 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 human being growth has has, has occurred in the community here. And so we really want to encourage the continue uh, faithfulness in, in giving and generosity so that we can faithfully serve the people who have become part of our community and, and, and where we can continue to aggressively resource the world outside of ourselves, uh, aggressive in the best sort of way, because we're not a church that exists fundamentally for ourselves but for the world that Jesus came to love. And so, uh, all of these things being said, uh, now I get to turn our attention to Galatians chapter 6 uh, and the continuation of our series that we're calling The Battle Within. And today we're talking about criticism. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> there are actually two kinds of criticism. And there's the kind that we're all very familiar with, and that's the kind of criticism that hurts. And then there's another kind of criticism that we're going to talk to today. Some have called it constructive criticism, but it's, it's the kind of critique and analysis of your neighbor that's designed to heal. So speaking of Father's Day, Dan Allender, the counselor and writer, wrote a book called How Children Raise Their Parents. And the summary of the book is right there in the introduction where he says that every single child asks two questions subconsciously with respect to their parents all the time. And those two questions are, number one, do you love me? Number two, can I get anything that I want? And basically, the sum of the book is this, healthy parenting equals this, that that the child lives in a, a, a continued awareness that the answer to the first question, do you love me, is yes, and the answer to the second question, can I have anything that I want, is always no. That's what healthy parenting is. Healthy parents are the aroma of Jesus to their kids, who reflect The heart of the Father and and, and also the heart of the Son who is the exact representation of the Father to us, Jesus, who came to us full of grace, which means that at any given time He cannot love us more and He will not love us less because His love for us is completely secure all the time on our best days and on our worst days. And He came full of truth, which means that when we are hurting ourselves… Or when we are hurting others through lawlessness, we not only sin against the law of God, we sin against the love of God. And when we sin against the love of God, who always has our best interests at heart, we also sin against ourselves. And so he comes to us and he says, I love you too much to let you stay that way. No, you can't have whatever you want. Not in spite of the fact that I love you, but because of the fact that I love you. That's what a good, good father says. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book on community called Life Together, specifically it's his book on the church, said, Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back to the path uh, or back from the path of sin. So, there's this hope that goes along with with grace and truth. There's also hope that that the one who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete that good work. And part of the way that he does that is by continuing to father us and to continue to remind us that we never outgrow our need for a good father who is full of grace and truth and who has hope and vision for our lives. And the way that He fathers us is through His Word, through the ministry of His Holy Spirit, and through each other. Through each other. Where even the children in our midst, who are such a significant part of the body of Christ, as much a part of the church as the grown-ups are, can parent us in the things that they observe about our path of growth toward becoming like Christ and therefore becoming whole. So, I want to talk about a few things this morning speaking the truth to each other receiving the truth from each other and then knowing who our father is so let's start with speaking the truth to each other paul says bear each other's burden how do burdens how do we do that it's in the very first verse brothers if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness and so few thoughts here. First of all, the word brothers. There's a specific target group to whom he is speaking here. It is insider talk. The implication is that as a general rule of thumb, it is not Christian's job to confront people who are not Christians about their life choices and about their ethics. It's not our job, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, is a case in point where Paul is speaking into the church at Corinth and there's, there's sexual indiscretion going on where, where a man is, is in a relationship with his stepmother inside the church and everybody's just kind of turning a blind eye, uh, n- not addressing it, just kind of living and letting live. And what Paul says is this. This man who calls himself a brother needs to be challenged by the whole body and if he does not respond to the challenge about his sin against not only the law of God but the love of God and therefore against the community and also against his own health and flourishing then you need to escort him out of the community and away from the table and have nothing to do with him not as a punishment, but as a restoration strategy. Make him miss the riches and the fullness of the community so much that he comes home, that the prodigal comes home. But don't let him back in. Don't let him back in until he gets out of bed with the wrong woman. But Paul is very careful in this teaching to say this, And when I'm talking about people who are given to sexual immorality, I'm not talking at all about people outside of the church. It's God who is the judge of people on the outside. That's not a Christian's business. Jesus even, who was in very nature God, demonstrated this. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well, a promiscuous woman, the the man that she was with, she was a serial uh, monogamist, and the man she was with now was her fifth and he wasn't her husband. Or Luke chapter 7, where, where, where the prostitute comes in uh, uh, unannounced and uninvited to Simon the Pharisee's dinner party, where Jesus is in attendance. Or Mary Magdalene, the former prostitute, who, who becomes a friend of Jesus. You never see in any of these instances, not one time, Jesus scolding any of these women for their sexual improprieties. Not once, Instead, what you see coming from Jesus is tenderness, gentleness, patience. Instead of leveling judgments, He asks questions. Instead of shaming people, He asks, you know, the woman to get Him a drink, to serve Him. And then there's John chapter 8 where where there's the woman who's caught in the act of adultery, and I've always wondered why the man wasn't brought out in public along with the woman. But but there's the woman who's caught in the act of adultery And all of the smug, condemning, shaming, self-righteous religious folks have left the scene, and it's just her and Jesus, and Jesus looks at her and says, has no one condemned you? And she says, well, I guess not. No one, sir. And He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go leave your life of sin. So, So, you take those two sentences, you reverse them, you lose Christianity. You know, I, don't con- I don't condemn you, now leave your life of sin. Grace first and then truth. Or as, it, as Paul says in Romans, it's the kindness of God that leads people to repent. It's not people repenting that leads God to be kind. So, with respect to people on the outside who would not identify themselves as brothers and sisters and, 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 and believers in Jesus, give them Jesus. Give them Jesus, and let the Holy Spirit be the one who convicts and converts. So, this is insider talk. Any confrontation that happens by a Christian in the context of this text and Paul's writing is toward another follower of Christ. But there's a manner and a method here. Because it's only meant to be be done with those who have been caught. In other words, stuck in a pattern. And there's a blindness there. There's there's an ongoing denial there. There, There's a pattern of, 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 of stepping outside of the good law of God and the flourishing habitat that God's given us in His law. So, so, so the person has to be stuck. There has to be a pattern, and 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 we're not to police each other. We're not to nitpick at each other. So David Filson was sharing with me some time ago a conversation that he had with a man uh, who was known to nitpick at people and to police other Christians and, and their behaviors, and he would he would uh, scrutinize the. Uh, Theology of of Christian musicians, and he would scrutinize the theology of Christian writers and he would scrutinize sermons and there, there was hard you know to, to, to every you know praise for a sermon there were ten critiques rather than the other way around and David you know asked him one day you know what's what's what why do you feel the need to always be scrutinizing and nitpicking and policing everybody else and the man said to david i believe that god has called me to be a thorn in the side of the body of christ to which david responded something up to the effect of paul's thorn in the flesh was a messenger from satan not from the church We are not meant to nitpick or to police, but to come to one another, as Paul says, gently. Gently. Watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's just a reiteration of what Jesus said. As you remove the speck out of somebody else's eye, make sure you pay attention to the plank, the log, the railroad tie that's in yours. Because hypocrites are not effective restorers. You who are spiritual, he says, should restore that person gently. This is advocate language, not adversarial language. Gospel correction does have a sting to it, but it has zero contempt accompanying it. No contempt. A sting without contempt a scalpel instead of a sword. Truth-telling that has a healing impact on the one who's caught in a transgression is serious, but never shaming, and never retaliatory or punitive. So, somebody did this for me um, about a year, year and a half ago. Uh, Apparently, you know, not apparently really, I made a comment in, in, in a group conversation that hurt some people, including this man. It was a kind of a sharp, sarcastic um, comment, and so this man worked up the courage to come in and to talk to me about it, and he said, you know, Scott, my brother, that's how he started the conversation, Scott, my brother, affirming the love that he has for me. He said, the thing that you said, here's what you said. Do you remember saying that? And I said, oh, yes, I do. And he said, that felt very, very unloving to me personally. And, and he said to me after this, before you respond, before you say anything, can I just ask you a couple of questions? First, do you feel respected by me right now? Do you feel respected by me? As I, Because I imagine it's, it's probably hard for you to hear these things. And the other thing is, is there anything in the way that I just brought these things up that, that, that's either hurtful to you or offensive to you? So let's deal with that first. Have I hurt you? Do you feel respected by me? I mean, that right there so disarmed me that it didn't even feel like a confrontation. It felt like he was taking my heart carefully in his hands and saying, look, I want to help you. He was a true friend who told me the truth and who helped me grow, who showed me a blind spot so that I wouldn't be blind anymore. You know, Henry Ford once said, my best friend is the one who brings out the best in me. But, but, but sometimes bringing out the best in somebody includes putting a spotlight on the worst that's there in love, gently. So, they're speaking the truth to one another. It's imperative. That is essential to life in the body of Christ. But the second is receiving truth from each other you know, to 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 have a posture, or at least to to be committed to get to that place, because sometimes it's jarring. Even, you know, even if it's incredibly true and and delivered with such gentleness, it's still jarring to be challenged on anything. But we have to be deeply committed to 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 walk alongside Jesus, uh, and 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 and. And move toward having hearts that, are, that say thank you for those sorts of interventions rather than something else, you, for those sorts of interventions. A sign of the Holy Spirit living inside of us is this, that we are quite willing to receive correction, that our character actually means more to us than our reputation does. And this is a true litmus test as to whether or not that's true that we love the light that exposes darkness in us rather than running from the light in order to keep the darkness in us hidden. That's, those are signs that the Holy Spirit is working. So here's a question. You know, we're, we're in Nashville, Silicon Valley of healthcare. Um, you know, some of the best doctors and surgeons and, and you know, pharmaceutical innovators. Uh, are here in the whole world. And we're thankful for this. But why would we be thankful for an entire people group that is committed to be invasive with us and to probe us and to look at our private parts and to cut us? Why would we be so positively disposed to a whole people group that's committed to doing those things? because of the higher good that they're after, our health, our physical health. And so we're thankful for the medical professionals in our lives. Why would it be any different then with a friend or a family or a fellow church member or fellow Christian or a non-Christian friend or our parents or our children to become invasive with us, to go there with the things about us that make other people feel unloved. To go there. People who are willing to get surgical with us, to cut us so that we might be healed, not with a sword but as with a scalpel. Why would we be resistant to people who are committed to the health of our character while we are so committed to the people who are committed to the health of our bodies. It doesn't make sense, especially when we see the meaning of this word restore in verse 1 and and we see that it's a medical term that was used in the first century Greek that had to do with the resetting of a broken bone. And and, and people who reset bones will tell you that, 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 that if you reset a bone properly, then many times that bone ends up stronger after the injury than it ever was before the injury. It's the same with our character. Short-term pain can lead to long-term strength, but if you don't correct it early, you might be left with a limp for the rest of your life. So, fulfilling the law of Christ by helping one another become holy as God is holy. Imagine that. One of the biggest complaints in churches from people who get challenged in churches for their character, for stepping out of a marriage when… They don't have any biblical basis for doing so, for having a relationship with somebody that they shouldn't be in relationship with sexually or, well, adulterously and such, for being dishonest with finances, for questionable business practices, sketchy business practices, One of the most common things that happen to those who might not have the Holy Spirit but but have somehow made it into the membership of churches is when called out by these things, the initial resistance and the continued resistance, if there never is a turning, is this. Oh, I thought you said that this church was about grace. Well, That's not gracious at all for you to call me out on these things. God wants me to be happy. If I had a dime for every time I've heard that over the last 20 years, God wants me to be happy, and I'm not happy inside of faithfulness. God wants me to be happy, and if it's over here, then then that's what God wants. And so, why are you being so ungracious? But what's, what's being demanded there is not a God who is full of grace and truth, but a God who has neither. What's being demanded there is a God who is a codependent enabler, because the law of Christ is, as it says here, is an expression of the love of Christ. It's not trust Jesus, for there's no other way you can be happy in Him. It's trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And it's not a very popular word. I appreciate, Paul, you using the same word when we were talking about the spirit of generosity. It's an obedience issue, but, but more than an obedience issue, it's a happiness issue. You really want to be happy. This is how God makes you happy. He gives you laws to obey. He gives you tracks to run on. He gives you a habitat in which to flourish like a fish inside of the water. You take the fish out of the water, the, the fish becomes anxious, restless, breathless, might even die. So, none of this nonsense about a lack of grace, it's a lack of grace not to speak up when there is toxicity in a human heart and in a human life. So, so what about when the critique is uncharitable, is truly uncharitable? What about when the critique is actually, in truth, a misdiagnosis of what's going on? What if I criticized Mary Trapnell for something that she's not guilty of? I love what Jack Miller did. Okay, I, got this, I learned this from Scotty Smith. So Jack, Jack, Jack Miller was a, a mentor and kind of a father figure to Scotty Smith. And, um, you know, Jack was a, a, a professor and a pastor, and among other things, and a leader, and a writer. And so what Jack Miller would do when somebody unfairly criticized him, when somebody accused him of something that he did not do or say, this was Jack's standard response. You don't know the half of it. You don't know the half of it. I'm worse, even, even though this person is saying things that aren't true about me, I'm worse than what they're saying about me. Or Tim Keller, you know, tweeted this last week, and uh, I love when Tim Keller tweets something that relates to my sermon so I can exploit it for the sermon he always says things just right. But, but the reason I share this is that I, this is actually true of Tim. This is actually how Tim responds. I watched it up close, five solid years. This is how he responded to unfair criticism. He says this, Even if only 20% is true, we can still profit from criticism given to us by people who are badly motivated or whom we don't respect. How about that? as a sign of gospel maturity, as a sign of somebody who's found their security in Christ and not in their reputation, in God's verdict over them through Christ rather than in the verdict of strangers and their false critiques. Didn't Jesus say, blessed are you, when when people say all kinds of false things about you? Isn't that right there in the Beatitudes? For they did the same thing to the prophets, they did the same thing to Jesus, great is your reward, you've got a solidarity with Jesus. I mean, remember Paul said, I want to know the fellowship of sharing in Christ's sufferings, but isn't it true that so many of our prayers to God are that God would relieve us and protect us from the fellowship of Christ's sufferings? Isn't that how our American affluent prayers go? Not I want to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, but I I, I want protection from the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. I want the kingdom without the cross. I want joy without a journey. You know, King David is another example. There's this buffoon named Shimei who was hurling all kinds of insults at him from from a distance, and David's men were like, let's just go finish him off. You're the king after all. Who does he think he is? And, And what does David say? He says, you know what? Maybe the Lord has something to say to me, and maybe it's coming through this buffoon. So, so I want to—I actually want to listen to and analyze what he's saying. You know, largely because of Tim's influence, my standard response to what I feel is an unfair criticism is this. I, number one, I don't recognize your criticism in myself and in my motives and the things that I've done or said. I, I don't recognize myself in what you're saying about me. However, if any part of what you are saying is true, true, would you please pray for me to the Lord that the Lord would open my eyes to that? Because I don't want to be distant from the light if if the Lord is shedding His light on me and I just don't know it. So, giving and receiving the truth. Lastly and finally, knowing who our Father is. You know, whatever our earthly father's story is, those of us who are in Christ have a good, good father who is good all the time. And when we wonder to ourselves, does he love me? The answer is always yes. There's this magnificent uh, story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 to communicate that. It's about a father with two prodigal sons. One prodigal is is one who ran away, and, and the other prodigal is a prodigal who stayed home. The first prodigal said, Father, I want my inheritance, which was another… this was code in the first century for saying, I want your money more than I want you. I wish you were dead. And then the father let the money go, and the dude ran off and, and, you know, spent it on prostitutes, wild living, and so on. And then he became miserable because… When, you, when, like the fish that goes out of water, you know, you, you step outside of your nat- natural habitat, which is the good, life-giving, loving law of God. When you're outside of that habitat long enough, the law bites back in a restorative way to, 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 to trigger a longing for home, for the love that you always had but, but there but you didn't realize And so he goes back home, and what does the father do? He throws him the party of the century. You know, we were over at some friends last night, and it was the most amazing barbecue I think I've ever had in my life. There was like eight different things, and I ate all of them, and I'm still full. But it was beautiful, a beautiful signal of the feast that that, that awaits us. But several animals needed to be slaughtered in order for that to happen, poor animals. And so, so the father slaughters the calf and has this huge barbecue, invites the whole community, you know, puts a ring and a robe and sandals on his son who's come home. It's this big party, right? And then there's the prodigal who stayed home. He was the resentful one, the elder brother. You know, every penny that was spent on that party was, was chipped away from his inheritance. And so he disowns the brother that's returned, and he, he calls him this son of yours instead of this brother of mine. And what the father says even to him, to the jerk for Jesus to the one who nitpicks and polices and thinks he should be the thorn in the side of the body of Christ, says, all I have is yours too, my son. Come on in. This party isn't just for him. It's also for you. That's how much he loves you. Yeah, he loves you. Heck yeah. And when we ask ourselves, can can I live however I want, the answer is always no. You fool. No. No. Do you even have to ask that question? Because our Father in heaven is not dysfunctional, and He is not a codependent enabler. Grace and truth run together, never separately from one another. Because nothing can be more compassionate, as Bonhoeffer said, than a reprimand that calls us back from the path of sin. Here's a twist, though. Any reprimand that comes to us from God to flee from sin is also an invitation to flee toward a blood-bought table of grace. How about that? Consider the Lord's Supper in front of you as your fatted calf today. The only difference is that it wasn't a calf that was slaughtered. It was a lamb Who was slain to make this feast, to make this party, to make this homecoming available to prodigals who leave home and to prodigals who stay? The Lamb is your elder brother, Jesus, who did not resent at all and does not resent at all your return even though you wished him dead. He delights in your return and he doesn't hold back. He does not hold back his share of the inheritance but liquidates it, quite literally liquidates it for your homecoming. How about that? Fatted calf right in front of you, the lamb who was slain.